Hey y'all, this is part one of a two-part series where we sit down with Marsha Montenegro to discuss the Enneagram, New Thought, and New Age creeping into the Christian church. It's going to be a really fun series, and we hope that you will listen to both episodes. So enjoy part one, and get ready for part two next week. You're listening to The Blurred Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Manley. This is a place where each week we will talk about everything from worship, world religions, culture, trends, and more, but we'll look at and discuss these things from a biblical lens. In a world where so many issues are blurry, the goal here is to make things clear. Let's dig in. Hey, y'all. Welcome to The Blurred Podcast. Super excited about our conversation today. Uh, today we're tackling uh, an issue that has been a pretty hotbed issue for, for at least the last five years and, and probably going back even further. And so uh, we're honored to have a very special guest, someone who knows way more about this subject than me, a, a woman named Marsha Montenegro. And so I'm going to let Marsha uh, introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Um, Yes, and, and I'm glad to be on with you. Thanks so much for having me on your program. Uh, yes, I, um, I was in the New Age for a long time, uh, a very long time. I mean, at least 20 years. It's hard to say exactly when it got started because my interest in other religions and in the supernatural really started in high school. And... I very much was very strong during college, but I didn't like really participate in anything. I just, you know, read a few things here and there and I didn't identify in any particular way. You know, I didn't identify as a particular, any particular belief system that I recall. I was just sort of free, you know, free floating or something. (laughs) Um, And um, I had had a background of going to various churches. Um, We moved around a lot. So we were overseas and we went to these, um, I mean, one time it was a French church and another time it was like this generic army, the army Protestant chapel service, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we came back to the United States, I did get involved with a Baptist church. And this is because my mother, uh, who was raised Southern Baptist, thought children should go to church. And so even though she didn't really go, she thought children should go. And my father was an agnostic. So he, he didn't really care if we went or not. And I went very faithfully, but I really didn't understand the gospel at all. I, 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 heard, I heard the preaching. I heard about Jesus. Um, I, didn't under, I didn't get it. You know, I never understood the cross, why Jesus mm-hmm. died on the cross. I just didn't get it for whatever reason. And I started questioning the Bible and questioning Christianity in high school. My friends were not Christians. And then in college, I just sort of, you know, I really went down this path of wanting to explore other belief systems. And that ended up eventually into various areas, um, into Eastern religions for one one area, like Hinduism, reading on that, believing in reincarnation, then going from there to Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, Buddhism, psychic development classes, astrology, (laughs) numerology. So I got into all these areas taking classes because where I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, they had a place where you could take these classes. 
that eventually led to me becoming a professional astrologer. And that was where my focus was, although I was also doing like a Buddhist meditation and I was still kind of, you know, looking into and involved in other areas. And all of that went on for a long time until the Lord intervened and drew me out of that. And that's, that story is on my website at christiananswersforthenewage.org. And I've also done many um, podcast interviews um, that you can probably find online where I give my story. And after that, after I realized who Jesus really was and put my faith in him, um, eventually God started giving me opportunities to give my testimony and talk about the new age. And that eventually led to a full-time ministry. So I have been in full-time ministry since 1998, which is 22 years. I can't believe it's 22 years. <laughs> and um, I really can't. And uh, I was actually doing it part-time before that while I was working. And so my ministry is Christian Answers for the New Age. And I operate actually as a missionary under a mission agency called Fellowship International Mission in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I am in Northern Virginia. And so my ministry is about educating Christians about the New Age and the occult, how to respond to the assertions made by, you know, the New Age and the occult, or how to talk to people involved in those areas, as well as reaching out to people in the New Age and the occult. So those are the, the two main purposes of my ministry. Um, yeah. and so that's 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 a, a kind of a long answer, maybe, but that's that's, no, that's great. That's a perfect answer. And uh, I love that. You, I love that you have different places. Cause I've have, I've listened to, uh, to your testimony about how the Lord, um, radically, uh, saved you. And it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. And, uh, you know, what's amazing is anytime I hear anybody, um, sell any part of their testimony, whether it's being delivered from new age or whether it's just coming to know Christ, you know, as a 13 year old kid, um, it's always amazing to me just that Jesus does what he does in his own timing. Yes, and yes, absolutely. It's fascinating to me that, that you know, number one, that he would care enough, right, to love us, even though we're broken and sinful. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but number two, that he, he rescues us and he loves us. And he, he, man, when we're saved, what's amazing about that to me, just, just on a side note, is how, how drastically our lives change once we see truth. And right. um, one of the things that, that, that I wanted to talk about with you today is we're going to talk about the, the Enneagram, obviously, because I think that's a very important issue. And you're, you're somewhat of an expert on that, having written a book and everything. And I'll let you explain about the book in just a moment. But before we even get really into um, the Enneagram, uh, kind of for those who are listening who may not know, what, what would you say is like new age practice? So maybe there's people out there that go, okay, I hear what you're saying that I was involved in new age, but what is new age? And yeah. Maybe, maybe you could explain that a little bit so that our <laughs> listeners who may not know what it is as well can have a better understanding. Yes. I think that's a, a good, a good question to address because a lot of people have certain ideas about it, but they aren't really, really clear on it, what it is exactly, or they may even have wrong ideas about mm -hmm. it, you know, and think that something's new age that isn't really new age. Right. So um, the new age, I define the new age as a network of beliefs 
that um, draws from three main areas, um, Gnosticism, which was one of the first enemies of the early church when you had the early Gnostic types um, in the church and you have some of the actually New Testament authors addressing it um, because they were, they believed matter was evil and so Jesus couldn't come in the human body. So he only appeared to have a body. Um, and that was one of the things they were, they were uh, addressing there. Um, but Gnosticism is a, is a big part of it, also kind of secret teachings. And then the other area is uh, Eastern, Eastern religions, mainly Taoism, Hinduism, and Buddhism. Mm. And those three areas, which have a lot in common, they're different, but they have right. a lot in common, are areas that the New Age draws from. And a lot of people in the New Age often are involved in one of those three areas. Um, and then the other area is uh, new, the New Thought Movement. Mm, yes. And New Thought, which is absolutely one of the most influential uh, belief systems, I think, on our country, but yet probably yeah. one of the most unknown by most Christians. Yeah, I was about to say, it's one of those that most people wouldn't know that they're being taught new, new thought or even listening to new thought, but they're hearing it every day. Yeah, right, right. And, and they don't, they've never been told about it and they don't really know what it is, but it's very influential. So the new thought movement basically um, was mostly in the 18, started up uh, big time in the 1800s, although its roots go back a little earlier. And it, it had a lot of different teachings and people involved. It's one of those real big, the history of it is very disorganized, <laughs> yeah. but it eventually kind of gelled into certain ideas. And those ideas were that um, heaven and hell are a state of mind. Uh, you know, what you think is becomes your reality. What you think and believe becomes your reality. Uh, there's also the idea that God is treated more as a principle than as a personal being. Mm. Jesus is a man, was just a, a man who came to realize his inner divinity. And all men have, all men and women have an inner divinity. Yep. And Jesus came to realize that inner divinity. And so that because he realized that he attained uh, the state of mind called Christ consciousness. And so everybody has the opportunity and the ability to attain Christ consciousness. And that's the word that, that that's started in new thought, but the new age adopted that. So the new age adopted a lot of the ideas of new thought. So there's a big overlap between the new, new thought and new age, mm -hmm. although they're still very distinct from each other. They're not the same, the same thing. And the new thought movement uh, ended up uh, with three main churches, uh, the Christian science church, uh, unity and the church of religious science the church of religious science actually has changed its name now and it's called something like um i always forget the name because it's kind of long it's something like the centers for spiritual living something like that i don't, I don't know why they changed their name but they did so <laughs> um, anyway so that they're called that now i still think of them as the church of religious science because that was their name for so long and they focus very much on the idea that Jesus came to change our perception of reality because we're seeing things all wrong. And you know, we, we don't realize, we think we're separated from God, but actually we've never been separated from God. We have this innate inborn divinity 
and we can really, we have this potential to achieve anything we want. Mm. So a lot of the ideas that we see in our country about um, human potential, like you can, you can do anything you want. If you believe you can achieve it, you know, you can achieve it. If you believe it, you can achieve yeah, it. Believe it and achieve it. Yeah. And you can do anything. And, you know, I think one of the big proponents of this is Tony Robbins. Oh yeah. And he actually does, he does express new thought ideas. I don't know if he's ever acknowledged he's a follower of it, but he definitely has been influenced by it. And I've heard him express new thought beliefs. So his thing is always, you know, you can do anything. I mean, that's what all the seminars are. And, you know, he used to have people do this fire walk, you know, it was oh, yeah. all about believing in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. So that's, there's a lot more to the new thought movement than sure. that, but that, those are some of its highlights and the new age drew from that. So there's a lot of that in the new age. So what you have in the new age is a spectrum going from this kind of Gnostic area all the way, you know, through the Eastern spiritual beliefs over to the new thought beliefs. And you can find people sometimes um, you know, more focused in one area than another. So you might find people really into Gnostic type thinking. Right. Um, and, and then you'll find people in the strong in the new thought area of the new age. And they'll be, and they'll appear to be very different, but they're, they're both part of this huge new age spectrum. And then you have the people into the Eastern religion and then you have people into, you know, more than one. So you might be into the Eastern religions and you're into the new thought. Right. Or Gnostic and... <laughs> And then, and then the new age also incorporates occult practices. So even though the occult is really a different category, people in the new age will either be open to occult practices or they'll be involved in them such, such as um, astrology, you know, reading tarot cards, numerology, all of those are occult practices, right. but new agers most new agers have at least have an interest in them, if not, um, you know, an act, a very active interest, or they consult people who do these things, or they actually practice them like I did. So I practiced astrology, which is an occult art, but I was really, I was a new ager. And so you've got the, then you have to throw the occult in there too. So right. you have like, that's one reason it's so hard for people to really, I think, understand what the new age is. And to recognize it is because it has so many different facets to it. Oh, yeah. It, it can look entirely different to one person than it does to another yeah. person and still be the same thing. It, yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. Um, there are certain core ideas that you tend to find in the New Age, though, such as God being um, impersonal, being mm -hmm. an energy or a force. Right. Um, Jesus being a wise spiritual teacher, um, not the unique son of God and not the savior. Um, there's no belief in sin or sin is redefined. Uh, so there's not, you know, sin is not a problem because they don't understand the concept of sin because they don't understand right. the concept of a righteous God. Well, and they, and the, the, the idea behind a lot of it too, especially in the new thought is you're good. You're basically good. You just have to speak yeah. good things and good things will happen. And, if you speak yeah. negative things, you know, it's that law of attraction. And it's, it's really, it's what's scary to me, Marsha, is how much of that particular influence has creeped into the Christian church. Um, yeah. And it's easy to see it in places like word of faith movement, 
or uh, New Apostolic Reformation. Um, there's those teachers are teaching those kinds of things from from the pulpit. I know for for a fact, like people like Kenneth Copeland um, or Bill Johnson, um, they have taught the little gods concept that that they're on some sort of an equality or equal ground with Jesus because they Jesus would just kind of discovered his deity and and so since Jesus did all his miracles as a man then we can do the same things that he sort of mm -hmm. did and it's I mean that's going wild across the country right now especially in the western culture um, and those uh, those are new thought and new age ideas that are being preached from the pulpit right and and actually some of those come from some early charismatic teachings too yeah like um, kenneth hagan and uh, even before him oh yeah yeah there, there's a book that goes into that that i have not read but i always recommend it for people interested in that area by um rob bowman um called the word faith controversy hmm. and he has a a history there where he goes he digs a lot deeper than most people see these um parallels with uh, new, new thought or new age. But I mean, he goes more into some of the early charismatic teachers and what they taught. And I, um, it's one of those books I've always wanted to read, but I just don't have time. Yeah. And I don't deal with word of faith or with the new apostolic, uh, apostolic reformation because I see them as cultic movements within the church. Mm. I don't see them as mainstream. Right. I tend to deal with the new age in the more mainstream exactly. yeah. Christian churches. I'm aware of those, of course, but, um, and I'm asked a lot about, especially about the new apostolic reformation, but I always point them to um, uh, Holly Pivik and her blog, uh, spiritoferror.org. Absolutely. Yeah. Great resource. Yeah, she's a, she is an expert on that. I am not an expert on it. She is an expert and um, she's co-written two books on it. And Absolutely. so I always point people to, to that if that's what they really want to you know, explore and understand. Um, so yeah, so that you see them in those 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 two kind of cultic movements, but you see it in the mainstream church too. Absolutely. And I think it's more it's harder to me. It's very obvious in the those two areas we you just mentioned. That's it's so obvious to me. But in the in the mainstream church, it's more disguised. Yes. And it's not as it's not as obvious, and that's why people are falling for it. Absolutely. Well, let's talk then a little bit about the Enneagram, right? Because that's that's sort of the hot button issue. Yeah. Um, so you have written a book um, uh, just recently um, and about Richard Rohr and the Enneagram. And there are probably some people who are listening who don't know who Richard Rohr is. And so yeah. um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about him for sure okay. uh, yeah. during this episode. Um, but what is, this is kind of the, the base question is, what is the Enneagram? Yes, because I mean, there, there are some people who don't know about it, but believe it, they're little untouched corners in the United States. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had a few people, when I have a, um, a Facebook post on it, I've had a few people come in and say, what is it? I never heard of it. So I, I don't think there's a lot of them, but there's a few of them out there. Sure. Um, and I do want to mention, before I forget, my co-authors of that book are Don and Joy Vino, Yes. Um, V-E-I-N-O-T, because... Um, you know, there it was a team effort between yes. the three of us, and Don was sort of uh, led the charge. He led the team. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He's he when he goes goes 
to do something, man, you better get out of the way. He goes all in. <laughs> yeah, he's all in. You better, you better be ready. So that's a compliment. If in case Don is listening, that's absolutely a it is. <laughs> um, and he know he knows that he knows he's like that. So, um, yeah. So the enneagram is a nine-sided geometric figure. That's all it is. It's just a geometric figure with nine points. So like you have, uh, you know, a triangle has three points, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, a circle has no, no points. It's just a circle. A triangle has three points. A hexagon has six points. Um, a pentagon has five points. And so an, a, a pentagon or pentagram and a, an enneagram has nine points. And I want to say here, because a lot of people, when they see the enneagram, they say, oh, it looks like a pentagram. It reminds them of something. They think it looks evil, I think, because it reminds them. And I like to point out that it's just a shape. A shape right. cannot be evil. Okay. Right. And we don't want to, because when you think a shape is evil, it's that's really an occult way of thinking. Yes. You're actually thinking there's some kind of evil in the way something is shaped. And that that actually is illogical. Because actually, all shapes and everything are from creation, right? And right. God made it. So really, in a sense, when you see a triangle or a hexagon or an enneagram, you're just seeing shapes that were created by God. Absolutely. Um, or come from creation that God made. So it's just a shape. It has no meaning in and of itself. And because it has nine sides, there's nine points. The way it's put together, it has nine points. And I think it's kind of like there's two overlapping triangles in it and then something else. I have to look at it. I, I did horrible. I almost didn't pass geometry. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're in the same boat there. I can't remember how to describe it in geometrical terms, but anyway, um, it's, it's, it's a combination of shapes. Um, and now when it originated, it was, it was supposedly depicting like all the uh, laws of the universe. And this was a man um, back who he did this like in the early 20th century. His name was George Gurdjieff. And he just had all these ideas and he, uh, you know, was teaching. He had people that listened. He had his own students who were listening to him and followed him. And he came up with this diagram and he said this is this you can put everything in the universe in this diagram all the secret laws of the universe everything goes in here and then he used it later it was used to illustrate his spiritual ideas of awakening to what he called the new man so he believed everybody is asleep you're not awake to who you truly are and to true reality and this of course is a very common thing that you find in the occult and the new age this kind of gnostic teaching that you you are just asleep you have not woken up to yeah. reality you have not woken up to your true it's like self. the matrix yeah yeah exactly yeah which i saw when i saw that i was like man that is so buddhist i can't believe it right and then later the two brothers who who made oh, Lukowski it brothers yeah yeah they admitted they were influenced by buddhism and then after that they didn't give any more interviews exactly yeah <laughs> so i was like yeah see i knew it i was right so um <laughs> so um uh, so this is what he did, and he kind of played around with it, like he he played around with mathematical uh, uh, types of uh, uh, puzzles and mathematical something he called the law of three and the law of seven and the, and all of that. And he would play around with it. He put the musical scale around it, 
Um, and so that's what he was doing with that and using it as this diagram. It had nothing to do with personality or, you know, trying to find out who you were by looking at it. It wasn't used that way at all. And his uh, student, he actually did not write about this. His student, um, who was a Russian named Uspensky, uh, wrote about Gurdjieff's teachings. He wrote four books about Gurdjieff's teachings and included information on the Enneagram, but it was what Gurdjieff had taught or what he said Gurdjieff taught. And so for a long time, that's, you know, it, this idea of the Enneagram stayed basically among the followers of Gurdjieff and Uspensky. And they were the only people who, who knew about this. Uh, and then in the uh, 60s, sometime in the 60s, this man named Oscar Ichazo, um, Gurdjieff and Uspensky both died in the late 1940s, by the way. So then we get into the 60s and this man named Oscar Ichazo, who uh, was from Bolivia, uh, came across the, the, the Enneagram somehow. And we don't know exactly how. Um, the most common thing I've heard is that he ran into some students of Gurdjieff's teachings. And he decided he would use this, this nine-sided diagram. And so he taught it at his school in Eureka, Chile. And it was an occult school. It was secret teachings. When you went there as a student, you had to sign an agreement that you, you would not tell anybody about what you learned there. It was very, very secretive. But what he taught apparently was, um, he taught that the Enneagram was a diagram of how you hide your true self. Mm. So he said there were these nine points on there. He said those are nine ego fixations. And an ego fixation, according to him, was that this is how you see yourself, but it's a false view of who you are. It's because of your experiences and because of how you were raised and because of what you were told to believe and all those things you, you were fed have given you the idea that this is who you are. Right. And it was all the, the, nat the nature and nurture type thing is all about the way you were nurtured. Yeah. Yeah. And he used, he did use the seven deadly sins and then he added two more because hmm. there are only seven and he needed nine. Sure. So <laughs> you got to add two more. <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, like maybe, okay, so you identify with one certain point and maybe that's the uh, sin of, of greed or something. And so you've covered up yourself, uh, your true self with this kind of uh, false personality. And so the idea was that you would work your way through this and uncover the, the true self. The, the, I don't think he called it a true self. I think he called it an essence or the pure essence. Yeah, the pure and essence. The, and the pure essence of who you are, which is completely untouched by any evil and you know is totally pure mm. so that was his his idea and that's how he used the enneagram uh he had a student named um claudio naranjo who came to the school and met with ichazo and eventually started taking ichazo's uh classes you know and being trained under him and so of course naranjo learned about this this enneagram and the ego fixations and then when Naranjo left uh, the school and he went to California, he was at this place called Estelin in Big Sur, California, which was a very, very edgy place that um, a lot of the New Age teachings um, stemmed from the human potential movement uh, kind of started there. And a lot of the New Age teachings uh, were kind of 
uh, not all of them, but some of them came out of, of Esalen. And so Esalen had a big influence on the culture. It was, it was seen as something on the fringe. And he was there, Naranjo was there, and he took the Enneagram and he taught it as having nine types. He didn't teach the ego fixations. He taught nine types. Hmm. And he uh, said in a video in 2010 that's on YouTube that um, he got the information for the nine types via automatic writing. Now, hmm. automatic writing is a form of spirit contact that I'm familiar with because I knew about it when I was in the New Age. And basically, you allow a spirit to take over uh, your hand while you're writing. Wow. So that, you, and usually when this happens, you don't know what you're writing. Yeah. And you're, so you're kind of in this other state of mind where you're not really. Well, and typically too, isn't it that, yeah, like it's not usually even your handwriting. It, like it looks different right. and right. Uh, it, yeah, you don't remember writing it. Right. It usually doesn't look like your handwriting. Now, I never did it, but I knew a few people who did. I knew what it was. Um, and you actually could do it even on a on a typewriter or nowadays on a computer. Wow. Um, so it doesn't have to be writing. And actually, there's a woman named Ruth Montgomery who used to be a journalist in Washington, D.C. And she, um, I forgot how she started off, but she was at her typewriter and uh, this was before computers. And she was trying, I think she was trying to get answers about something or else something just took over. I can't remember the story. And she started getting these messages transmitted through her typing, she was <laughs> typing out these messages supposedly from aliens. And she ended up writing a whole series of books. I mean, I think it's eight, nine, 10 or 11, 12 books. I'm not even sure how many, a whole bunch of them that I read quite a few of them when I was in the new age, I was very impacted by them. And she, these books, I mean, just, it was just book after book after book. And she was doing all this, through automatic writing on her typewriter. Wow. So anyway, so this is what Claudio Naranjo said, and he did believe in spirit contact. And by the way, Oscar Ichazo claimed um, that his school, Arika, was guided by what he called an interior master. And huh. what he means by that is a spirit. Wow. So there was a spirit guiding the school, plus there were two other spirits, um, the, the Metatron and the Green Ketub. The Green Ketub is connected to Sufism somehow. And Metatron is an, an archangel in the Kabbalah. Right, um, and in the Jewish mystics. Yeah, the Jewish mysticism. And, and by the way, I just want people to understand the Kabbalah has nothing to do with biblical Judaism. Right. And the Kabbalah is not ancient. A lot of people think it's really ancient. It actually right. started around the 13th uh, century, 13th or 14th century. So it's not ancient. They just said, they claimed it was. They had these writings and they said, oh, look, we found them. These go way back, you know, but they don't, they don't. So, um, and so, uh, uh, so the, the, the Mithron is this uh, from, figure from the Kabbalah. So he claimed he was getting information, you know, from these uh, spirits. So you have spirits with, uh, spirit contact with Oscar Chazo. You have spirit contact with Claudio Naranjo. And this is, this is the product of that is the Enneagram. And now, so here you have this, this, um, this thing that all of a sudden in the, uh, this was around 1970, 1971, when Claudio Naranjo was teaching it at Esalen. And there were some people there that learned it from him. One of them was named 
Bob Oaks. He was a Jesuit priest. He took the teaching back to a seminary in um, a Catholic seminary in Chicago and started teaching it to some priests at the seminary. Then um, it, so that it went two different places. One was this uh, seminary in Chicago and the other was into the new age via Helen Palmer, who at the time was calling herself a psychic. Um, and she learned the Enneagram and started teaching it and wrote a book on it. And, you know, and after she introduced it into the new age, it just took off like crazy in the new age because it's a perfect tool for the new age. In the Catholic church, it, it didn't really take off, but it was for a while, it was a trend mainly used um, in retreat centers um, and, you know, privately by some people. It was never endorsed by the Catholic Church. In fact, I think the Catholic Church eventually came out against it. So it was never an, an, an official teaching or an official endorsement of it in the Catholic Church. It's just that it was being done by some people, uh, by some nuns, by retreat centers, by some priests, um, and maybe in counseling and things like that. But then it kind of died out. And actually, um, there was a Jesuit um, named Mitch Pacwa who learned it. He learned it um, from one of the original teachers when Bob Oaks went to teach it. Uh, Mitch Pacwa was one of these people who learned it and he started teaching it. And then he started um, investigating it. I forgot now exactly what caused him to, to wonder about it, but something did. He started looking into it and he realized, hey, this isn't really a valid, this isn't valid. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't good. He realized where it came from. And he um, wrote a book called Catholics and the New Age that I think came out in 1992, warning, of, and one of the chapters is on the Enneagram. Um, and he was warning about it. Now, I don't, that's what helped uh, kind of stamp out the fire of the Enneagram in the Catholic Church or not, but it kind of died out. Um, meanwhile, though, in the New Age, in the you know, once it got into the new age in the 70s and then in the 80s, it just took off like crazy. All these new age uh, counselors and psychologists started using it. They started adding their own ideas to it. You know, their different little theories about it. Um, you know, they put in the wings and all this stuff. And it's a perfect tool for the new age because number one, it has no um, model or standard. There's no, there's nothing to say here is the Enneagram. And this is the absolute way you have to teach it. You know, right. it's like, it's not like, you know, a ruler, a ruler, no matter where you buy a ruler, it's going to have 12 inches on it. Right. But, <laughs> so there's, it's a standard, you know, you can, you're not going to have to worry about if you go to the drugstore and buy a ruler that it will only have nine inches on it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the, um, that's not true for the Enneagram because it just depends on whose hands it, it got into because you, you know, they put their own teachings into it. So it was this very malleable um, kind of clay that you could shape into anything you wanted. And new agers love that. They just love things like, I mean, oh, yeah. age, I can tell you it's the perfect new age tool. And so you just have some certain basics about it and then you can go from there. And that's what, that's what happened. And so the new age just became this huge popular teaching. Um, it did get out in the nineties. It got out into the secular culture. Uh, somewhat apparently was used by some companies um, like for people app job applicants and stuff. I don't know exactly how that happened, which psychologists were using it. It could even be some of the psychologists were new agers, you know, I don't know. 
um, because the New Agers were getting into the mainstream by the 1990s. So it's, that's highly right. possible. And I, I tend to suspect that's the case uh, because actually um, secular, the secular academic world of psychology has never accepted the Enneagram. It's not, it's not, accept, it's not seen as a valid tool for anything. So I think that maybe the fact it got into some of these corporations was maybe through new age psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, uh, so you have it mainly there in the new age, a little bit in the Catholic church. Uh, then there's this man named Richard Rohr. Should I go ahead and talk about Yeah, him? let's go. Let's talk about Richard Rohr because he's, he's going to get brought up anyway. And so we need to talk okay. about him because he's very influential. Yes. He was, uh, he also learned the Enneagram uh, probably around the same time as Mitch Pacwa and, um, or shortly after that. And he became apparently very intrigued with it. And he wrote a book with another man, a, actually a Lutheran pastor. Um, um, his name now oh, it's totally escaped me. He's, he's now, he's, he died several years ago. Um, but he wrote a book with him his last name's very short. I don't know why I can't think of it. But anyway, he wrote a book with him called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. So he's presenting this book as there though- There was uh, Andreas Ebert, wasn't it? That's it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Andreas Ebert. I knew it started with an E and that was as far as my brain got. Yeah. Andreas, <laughs> Andreas Ebert. Um, and it's called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. So now it sounds like a valid Christian tool. Right, yeah. And, you know, and um, so this book started becoming, it's, you know, I don't think it was a big hit at first because most people didn't know what the Enneagram was. Right, this was, this was well before the modern mainstream when it really took off. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, really mainly only people in the new age and maybe some Catholics who had been into it knew what it was. Otherwise, it wasn't very well known outside those areas. So it, I think it's slowly, you know, I think for a long time, it probably didn't have that much of an impact, except maybe perhaps on some Catholics, because Richard Rohr is a uh, Franciscan friar. So he's, he's in a Franciscan order, which is part of the Catholic Church. Right. It's one of the, you know, the uh, a friar, which is different from a monk. Apparently, I found out that monks tend to be more um, retreat um, from society, whereas friars are active in society. Um, so anyway, that's what I read somewhere because I was trying to figure out the difference. <laughs> and um, so anyway, so it was probably, there was probably being read by main, mainly Catholics. Well, around 2000, late 90s and 2000, we had some uh, people in the evangelical church who wanted to reach the unchurched generation. Uh, and they started this movement um, that became, that eventually was called the Emergence. Um, the emerging emerging Christianity, and they were called the Emergence, and uh, were Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, mm -hmm. Tony Jones, and and several other people, and uh, they they uh, and how their paths crossed with Richard Rohr, I'm not sure, but somehow there was a convergence there with Richard Rohr, and he was apparently influencing them. Um, Rob Bell and Brian McLaren ended up speaking at some of Richard Rohr's conferences, and Rob Bell later admitted around, I forgot when he admitted it, several years ago, but he said that he had been influenced by Richard Rohr for years. Oh, yeah. And uh, so he was, I think when he wrote Velvet Elvis, he read, was influenced by Richard Rohr. Yes. Um, and so 
unfortunately, these people that I'm talking about were drifting away from sound doctrine. Mm. They were not accepting the Bible as the authoritative word of God. They were not accepting it as an, the inerrant word of God. And so they were, they were kind of using it, but they were interpreting it their own way. And they were really, really drifting from, from sound doctrine and the historic faith, although it wasn't that obvious at first, but it was happening. And they being influenced by Richard Rohr, the Enneagram came into the picture. And, and these people who were called the emergence and are now called the progressives, started having conferences around 2009, 2010, 2011. And I noticed that they were um, featuring the Enneagram at some of these conferences. And that was the first time I had heard of it being anywhere near Christianity. And I remember being very surprised, like, well, what are they doing, you know, having the yeah. Enneagram taught at their conference? <laughs> I, even though, yeah, okay, they're progressives, but what are they thinking? Right. Very, very popular. And I thought, wow. And that is when I wrote my first article on the Enneagram was in 2011. Because I saw it in the progressive church. And I thought, if it's in the progressive church, it's too close for comfort. I need to write an article on what the Enneagram really is. And so I did, and that was my first article on my website. It's called the Enneagram GPS Gnostic Path to the Self. And that's really the best way to describe it. If you want just a short phrase, yeah. you can say the Enneagram is the Gnostic Path to the Self. That, that'll do it. <laughs> and um, so uh, I, I just kind of did my article and then sort of, you know, went on and, and dealt with other things. And then all of a sudden in 2016, bang, here comes the road back to you from InterVarsity Press, which is perceived as a very evangelical, perceived as a conservative Christian mm -hmm. type publisher, at least the books that they're doing are that way. Right. And they come out with the road back to you. And I, I remember when I saw it, I think I saw it, it was something about it on Facebook. I'm not sure how. And um at first I thought the title, I, I read the title wrong. And I thought, because it was a Christian book, and I thought the road back to you, that doesn't sound like a Christian book. Right. No, not at all. <laughs> the road back to us. I don't know. I don't really want the road back to me. No, okay. I want the road to Jesus. I don't want yeah, the road yeah, to me. I, I've been, been there, done that. Yeah, I followed that road a whole long time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay. So the road back to you, the two authors there are connected to Richard Rohr. And Suzanne Stabile, who's one of the authors, was mentored for many years by Richard Rohr. She and her husband were mentored. So she is basically a disciple of Richard Rohr. And Ian Cron is a very close associate of Richard Rohr. He, um, in the first chapter of The Road Back to You, Ian Cron writes that he had been introduced to the Enneagram book earlier when he was in seminary but he didn't really think much of it. But later, um, this man he calls Brother Dave convinced him to reread the book. And when he reread it, for, for some reason, it had this incredible effect on him. And he said he felt like he had woken up. Now, you know, I consider that a red flag because Absolutely. a Christian does not need to be woken up. 
Yeah, they've already been awakened by yeah, Jesus. Exactly. You don't need to be spiritually awoken to any kind of new truth. No, because Jesus actually, brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life, which is way greater. Right, right. And this is in the first chapter. I recently did a post. I was so alarmed by this book, and I didn't have time to. I've been wanting for the longest time to write all of the red flags that I saw in the first chapter. And I finally did it like uh, a week or so ago. And I did a post, you know, the red flags in, in chapter one of The Road Back to You. And I laid them all out. I went through each page, each sentence, and laid them all out there. Some are more obvious than others. And I said, what alarms me is that this book is probably the most popular Enneagram book in the church. It was the first book. And I still get I still get messages and emails from people telling me that you know their friend told them to read this book or their their ministry leader told them to read it or their their pastor is and it's always it's like the road back to you almost yeah. all the time and I'm thinking I don't understand how um, a Christian who knows really knows the Bible right a pastor can read the first chapter and think it's Christian yep it is not Christian. It, it, it is not a Christian. The first chapter is much more like a new age chapter than a Christian chapter. And so I was very disturbed. I couldn't understand why people didn't see these <laughs> red flags. So I wrote it all up in this post. I mean, I, I, like I said, some of them are more subtle than others, but this wake up thing that should have been raised an alarm with people. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but I think because if their pastor, you know, thought it was good or, if they had some Christian friends who thought it was good, I guess they thought, well, you know, it, okay, it must be, it must be okay. So even if this sounds strange to me, you know, all these friends of mine thought it was okay, so it must be all right. So I think a lot of people think that way and they take somebody else's word for it. And that's what we should do. You know, as, as Christians, we really need to be discerning and don't just take someone else's word for it. Right. You know, if, especially if there's something that kind of strikes you as strange, you know, or different. Like, I don't know, that, that's, I've never heard that idea before. Then, you know, think about it, investigate it. Don't just think, oh, it's okay because so-and-so said this was a good book. You know? Thanks again for listening. As always, if you have any questions or comments about our content, want to know more, have suggestions or ideas about our next topic, you can email me at contact at beardedapologetics.com. This has been the Blurred Podcast, Soli Deo Gloria.